we've seen a convergence between city planning, community development, and providing access to health, healthcare, public health. And those three spheres, when combined, have a lot of power as it relates to building better, thriving communities. The work done here to help bridge that gap is something that's fundamental to make some long-term strides. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, set some time aside, and spend 30 minutes with it. Because this is something that really needs to be absorbed. And it does have a logical flow of a story. And that's where I would love for people to lean in a little bit is to not just use it as one of the same old data portals. It's not like that, it's a journey. By sharing these kind of insights, by making them available, by making them legible and impactful, you can have a influence that's much greater than any one organization can on its own. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Vitalist Spark podcast. I'm your host, John Ford, and everyone at Vitalist welcomes you to this, our 50th podcast episode. Just when you thought we were leaving you hanging with only part one of our health data challenge conversation, it turns out we're back today with part two. In this episode, we'll continue to voice the challenges of using health data to make change. But today, we're doing it within the context of an audio tour of Vitalist's newly launching statewide health data dashboard. If you're lucky enough to be at a computer for this episode, head on over to vitalisthealth.org. As you scroll partway down the homepage, you will see our wheel, and to the right of that, the words launching now. Click the link and follow along as our guests talk about the dashboard, what it took to get us here, and what some of the pages have to say. If you can't be in front of your computer right now, no worries. We've got links in the show notes for you to explore when you can. We'll get to our guests in less than a minute. First, please recognize the moment that we are in. With COVID cases rising in the majority of U.S. states, remember what we do know. Masks work, as does physical distancing and avoiding higher-risk situations that could become super-spreading events. Be COVID smart. Stay home as much as you possibly can. Wash up. Mask up. Maintain physical distancing and keep a heads up for your fellow Arizonans. It is possible for Arizona to avoid a fall that looks like last June. Our actions today make that difference. All right, let's get to it. It's time to dig into part two of our health data challenge dialogue, including an introduction to Vitalist's statewide health data dashboard. We have a really cool dashboard to walk you through today. So grab your web browser if you can and join us as we go along for a ride with the Vitalist Health Dashboard. And we're doing that with the same two guests we had several weeks back. We have the CEO of My Sidewalk, Mr. Stephen Hardy. Stephen, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, John. It's great to be back. And we have My Sidewalk's Vice President of Health Solutions, Dr. Sarah Martin. Sarah, how are you? Hello, I'm so, so great. Sarah, I'm actually gonna start at the very, very top of not the dashboard, but of just the challenge of doing a dashboard. You mentioned in our last episode that you were part of a webinar on how to frame public health so that other sectors will listen. Now, of course, we'll encourage everyone to go listen to that webinar. But while we're here, can you give us some key insights into that question? How do you frame public health issues so that other sectors will listen? Well, we also have an ebook all about it, which you can find on our website. So it's a complex question, but really it sounds complex, but it's actually pretty simple. You have to think like you're 
enemies in a way. Public health and health equity in general has an issue with marketing in that we often don't want to use the same tools and tactics that I'll say the other side does. When I say other side, I mean people who are willing to sell you things that make you unhealthy or want to get policies passed that keep health inequities in place. So you've got to be engaging and you have to tell a story and we have to resist that urge to frame things in a way that's going to stir up some negative emotions. When we frame public health, it's important not to come at it as if we're lecturing people on what they can and cannot do, but to frame them with stories and parables that make sense. So these are stories that are as old as time. We don't need to frame things as a battle or a war or in some sort of way that pits people against each other. But one of the most effective frames for talking about health equity is to explain that public health and the work of public health, whether you're a department or a foundation or any of those things, is really akin to building a foundation for a healthy community. I think Vitalist gets that. I think you guys do that really well in your own dashboard and your own stories. But there's got to be some panache to it. As well, we do in the ebook and in the webinar kind of go through our best dressed list when it comes to these types of plans. And if you aren't interesting looking or interesting sounding in the story you're telling, it's really hard to maintain attention in this world we live in. And so you do have to pay attention to the little details with your words and your imagery and your design. As if you are designing your dream home, you have to put as much effort into those little tiny intricate details because that's at the end of the day, what's going to get attention and keep attention. Steven, Sarah was talking about having the right design details in our last episode together. We also talked about the fact that not all the right appropriate design details in the form of data are available when it comes to telling a good public health story. So what do you do then? It's a challenge, and it's a challenge everywhere, not just in health, but the fundamental thing is to do something. You cannot let the perfect get in the way of progress. And so I think a number one piece of advice that we usually provide is just make sure that you're using what you've got and working towards better data. So that's first place out of the gate. The second place that I'd go to look is just because the data isn't coming from your state Burfus data set doesn't mean there's not a good one out there. And so looking to other sources is a good second check to see what's available and what you can use. And that's just something that we've put a lot of time and attention into is trying to think about how do we democratize data in a larger way? How do we make it such that data sets from hundreds of sources can be found and used on demand rather than having to know what you're looking for ahead of time. So let's go and take a look at the Vitalist dashboard. I actually never cease to be amazed when we start with the very homepage of the Vitalist dashboard and with the very first map, which is life expectancy by zip code. Life expectancy varies from a low of 65.8 years to a high of 90 years. Sarah, how shocked mm -hmm. should people be when we give them those statistics and how different or similar is Arizona to other parts of the country? It is absolutely shocking. However, for those of us working in this field, it's not surprising. What was surprising to me was actually the size of the gap. To see a difference from 65 to 90 is one of the largest gaps I've ever seen in doing this work. And I've been doing this work a long, long time. You're right. It doesn't cease to amaze us when we think we know a place and we realize the depth of the inequities. It can be very, very hard to see. And I think one of the things that makes Arizona probably unique in this situation is that you have a fair amount of Indigenous 
folks, and we know in the history of this country and current health affairs that those groups have been historically oppressed. And anytime you have a historically oppressed group of people, whether it's our people of color in Kansas City who are left out of real estate wealth generation or its indigenous tribes who've had their livelihoods taken away from them, then we know we're going to see these gaps and these gaps persist in urban areas, rural areas, and everything in between. And I know that Arizona has got all of that, um, all of that going on. So the 65 to 90 gap is one of the largest you've seen. And probably the proximity of those is also probably the shortest you've ever seen. Yeah, there are some areas here where it's like you just step across the street and you've gained 20 years. I think one of the things that it leads you to think about is what I see is not that that lowest low is super low. Your highest high is actually higher than most places. And I think that starts some really interesting conversations about what we would call, if I put my research hat on, selection bias, which is Arizona's attracting populations who are aging in place or healthy aging, and they're maybe moving to Arizona to enjoy all the wonders of the state. I do love Arizona so much. And that could be accounting for some of those higher numbers that you see in the map. When this whole thing started, there was a desire on Vitalist's part to try and figure out how to present a data dashboard that aligned with the elements of Healthy Community Wheel that we have been working with since late 2016, early 2017. Talk about how the dashboard is structured overall, the categories it's structured into, and why. Part of what we do at My Sidewalk is really things that can't be explained in a software program. We really take a lot of time in thinking through how do we structure a story so it's not overwhelming. And because your wheel of health is so multifaceted, to do a story where it's just one page for one spoke of the wheel, it really wasn't going to drive people into those. We like to say, we're going to limit our buckets. We're going to group these into meaningful categories. You have an average of five minutes with people. We know because we have all the analytics on the dashboards. How are you going to capture attention, tell a story, and compel action? We really worked with you quite well to say, okay, let's take those and group them. And we did. And I think that it came out to be a really beautiful, natural combination. So what do you want to do as a leader? You want to create environments where healthy choices are the easiest ones. You want to make sure that the environment is clean and safe. And you also want to advocate for equitable policy change and disrupt those systems of inequity. We were able to take each one of those spokes and put those into the different buckets to tell a story where if someone comes to this and want, is really interested in one particular thing, transportation, they could easily look and they see the little picture of a bus and they can navigate straight there and get the information that they need because user experience is really top of mind for us. Stephen, what's your take? John, the life expectancy data set is one that we use in every vertical. Obviously, it's important for gauging the health of a community, but it's health in the broadest sense of the word. And when you're thinking about a 24-year gap in life expectancy, I mean, if an unalienable right is the right to life, according to our Declaration of Independence, then we are failing miserably in that regard. And that is simply 
not acceptable. I really appreciate that that's called out front and center on your dashboard. I think it is something that has power much beyond a typical audience for something like this. And it's a role that Vitalist has really stretched into to be that advocate. So that's the first thing that always resonates with me from this work. And then the other thing that I've just always appreciated about working with Vitalist is you guys understand how important design is in storytelling. We're at a moment where you're competing as it relates to data visualizations. It's like the New York Times and everybody else are the people doing the best ones. So if you don't look like you can compete with that storytelling from a data visualization standpoint, you're second class. And I think the work here is beautiful. I think it's top notch. I think good design makes a compelling story. And that comes across really clearly in the work that that's been done here on this dashboard. When you put it all in one place, it's almost overwhelming the way the data plays out. Just as an example, within the Empowering Healthy Choices section, if you go to the Access to Care section, we often talk in our state about what the overall percentage of uninsured rate is, and we compare that to the national average. Generally speaking, we're somewhat close to the national average. But then you go to these maps, and you go to these zip codes, and you find something like a zip code in Scottsdale, Arizona, that is 100% covered. And then you go to a zip code on the Havasupai Reservation, and 20% or less are covered. This is a big part of the data presentation process that doesn't typically get surfaced. How do you partner with organizations to tease that data out and get those stories better told than they are typically? Sarah? The section that you refer to is actually a perfect example. The way we often talk about access to care is through health insurance, which is part of it. But I think one of the more compelling visualizations that you pushed us on was this ratios of you know, people to providers. And that's where you see some really stark differences. And so if we want to think about holistic access to care, just having insurance isn't going to cut it. If I'm in Maricopa County, the average ratio of people to primary care provider is around 1400. Right next door in Pinal, it's almost 6,500 people for every one provider. And you think about what the implications that means for the treatment that you get, the time you spend with a PCP, all of those like surrounding issues of access. When you ask, how do we work with our partners? We honestly, we listen more than we speak. We really start with the end in mind with our clients and then work ourselves backwards to not only what data would tell this story, but what do we have that we can use? That's one of the major challenges in working with partners all over the country is that some places have really rich data. They have a great, strong state department of health that is centralizing data. They have a great utilization, open data portal that we can pull from to visualize. And that's the case in Arizona, who actually has quite a bit of data there that we can use that's different than other states. But I go right to Nevada across the state line. And I'll say they've got barely anything to go off of. It's a challenge to work with customers across the country who have inequitable access to the data we're trying to break free. We don't have perfect data, but don't let perfect be the enemy of the good enough. We can tell a creative story with what we have. And this provider to patient ratio is actually a very powerful conversation starter for that type of work.
Steve, we're recording this episode right around lunchtime. I trust that you ate already. I did. Good. Because now when we look at the quality affordable foods page and we find over a million people in Arizona are food insecure, almost a quarter of a million live at least 10 plus miles from a source of healthy, affordable foods. Do those numbers shock you? Yeah. And the hardest thing right now is to think about the extra challenges being put in place by the pandemic and trying to get food to families and kids all across the country. When you're already in a food insecure situation, it's a daunting task and it's really borne out in the numbers here. The other thing is I'm just looking at the maps here, John, and and listening to the last comments. You don't have the kind of discrepancies that we've been talking about. If place didn't matter a great deal. And so I think that's another thing that just really jumps out as you're going through the Vitalist dashboard. It's great use of maps and it really shows you how much a determining factor just where people live is and how services, service delivery, quality of life are directly connected to where somebody's address is. And that's another thing that that's an important part of the story. It really makes it more personal. I mean, you can see on a map where these things exist and you can think in your mind, hey, I actually, I know what that place looks like. And that's a lot different than just having a state number next to a national number. You don't have an image of a neighborhood in mind when you're looking at that. That's a really impressive part of this platform, Sarah, is the ability for anybody to go to this dashboard and zoom in on their zip code or on zip codes around them or, or to look at the state in general and say, you know what? I see that now. I either see it and it makes sense to me or I see it and I can't believe it's that close to me. Yep. Also, I should say I am starving. So let's talk about food. One of the things that I really love about this dashboard in particular is that it gives people different points of entry depending on what their unique qualifications are to solve the problem. Is Vitalist going to be in the grocery store building business? Probably not, but are community organizations able to use this to advocate for development funds or to get some incentives in there to build a little Aldi or whatever in the corner, which happened in KCMO with a very similar dashboard that they were able to use those maps to advocate for food desert grocery siting. One of the things that I love about this dashboard is it speaks to take up. There's some really great, simple data. The very simple time series graph you'll see under the food part of the dashboard about SNAP take up. And I think that's a place that we don't talk about enough, which is participation rate of those who should take advantage of these benefits. And we have to ask why. So we see that the number overall is below the U.S. average, which means that people who should be getting this aren't. And we see even further that the working poor are much less likely to get it. And that means that there's probably some stigma issues, some access issues, and that traps with what we're hearing from communities that people feel shamed into taking these benefits, which are rightfully theirs, which they contribute to as part of a democratic system. Again, it's a conversation starter. It's not an end-all be-all. It's not going to answer every single question, but it's going to start some provocative conversations on the local level. We see that since we work all over the state, we totally see that. We've heard this more than once. I don't want to use my SNAP benefits because people look at me sideways. I don't have a place to use it where I can get healthy food. Why would I just spend it all on soda? Same with WIC and, and WIC benefits are also particularly challenging. This actually inspired us. Um, a lot of this work inspired us to put new data into the system, which looks at 
the percentage of people who are living below poverty who aren't on SNAP nationwide. So now we actually have some of that data nationwide that can help us serve other people better because of the inroads that you guys made on that question. Stephen, Sarah said that Vitalist isn't likely to invest in a grocery store. We have made sizable investments and continue to encourage and support things like the Arizona Food Systems Network and the Maricopa County Food System Coalition who are working on local food issues. And it was your staff and your team at My Sidewalk that really encouraged us to not just tell the story with data, but to tell the story of our partners and the work that's already being done and to feature that on the dashboard too. Talk a little bit about how that came about. We really do believe data when used correctly can change the world. And it's no fun, frankly, to just be trying to sell shampoo with data. It's much better to actually be trying to improve the way people live in communities. Dashboard does a great job of building a complete story, a complete ecosystem for how you'd address something like access to healthy foods. And the whole point of that is that you can create something that's useful beyond just your organization that other people can use as well. We were talking to a fire department two days ago whose work in risk mitigation they published. And at the city council meeting where they were sharing their findings, the Meals on Wheels crew was there and they're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what we need to know how to target our own outreach. So it's that idea that by sharing these kind of insights, by making them available, by making them legible and impactful, you can have an influence that's much greater than any one organization can on its own. Sarah, let's talk about housing, because this is another pretty shocking page of data where you find that rental costs are taking up to 75 to 100% of a person's individual income, depending on the zip code you're looking at. Somewhere north of 50 is a pretty startling place to be. And yet we can move in and out of this map and take a look at different neighborhoods and see that. How typical is that when you look at data across the country? And what does it say about the capacity for those communities to be healthy? One of my favorite maps is on uh, affordable quality housing. Housing is really a two-part situation. There's the cost burden of housing and there's the quality of housing. So just having a roof over your head doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing because the roof over your head could be full of mold. It could be full of lead paint. And by just saying, oh, we've got subsidized housing and we're good. We all know that like the, the housing conditions matter for your health. I mean, that, that causal link is very strong. But my favorite map, maybe on your entire dashboard, is something that we normally hadn't done for people, which is the percent of housing units per each cost burdened household. And we're seeing zip codes where 20% of cost burdened households could not find affordable housing. There's no subsidized housing available in some of these places. But the thing about affordable housing is that's a choice. So affordable housing doesn't just spring up naturally like wildflowers, this is the easiest policy choice to pursue because it's linked to decisions that local governments can make for both incentives and tax credits, zoning restrictions. The lack of subsidized housing, affordable housing is a policy choice and inaction is a policy choice just like action. And so that's not unique to Arizona. That is something we see all over the place. I think you can tell, even from the powerful statement you make at the top of that page, housing is health. 
that's what I love about this dashboard is, and it kind of goes back to your first question of how do you frame this? How do you get people to care about your dashboard given their short attention span? If you don't say it right away in a forceful way, that's going to state your principles, you lose people with academic jargon or some sort of like weak language. You're saying housing is health. Housing should be a place of safety, stability, and shelter. And I love that about this dashboard because it doesn't pull any punches when it comes to stating clearly how you define this. All right, Stephen. Sarah already took us in this direction. So she already shared her favorite part of the Vitalist dashboard. What would your favorite part of the Vitalist dashboard be? Oh, that's a good question. I already complimented the the homepage and how it's set up. Because I'm a community planner and urban designer at heart, I think the nod to community design is something. I appreciate that in a health dashboard, that there is such a recognition that infrastructure, transportation, design is fundamentally tied to building a thriving community. We've seen a convergence between city planning, community development, and providing access to health, healthcare, public health. And those three spheres, when combined, have a lot of power as it relates to building better, thriving communities. And so I think the work that you've done here to kind of help bridge that gap is something that's fundamental to make some long-term strides. Can I amend my answer though? There's a caveat to my answer of my favorite part because my favorite, favorite part, there is a third bucket that says coming soon and I kind of know what's in it. And I will say it is the part of your dashboard that I think will make the biggest waves, will reset expectations for dashboards and really pushed us to think about how we operationalize issues of justice, equity, isms, all of that. And I tell the story often in demos or conversations with current customers. I use this as an example of how you can get creative to disrupt all of those underlying structures. And so I'm pumped about that. And that's my favorite part. So you asked me again after that's released, and I know exactly where I'm pointing and which map I'm talking about. Well, it'll be out very, very soon. And perhaps Yay. by the time somebody listens to this, it will also have already been <laughs> out. Let me flip the question and start with Sarah. What was the most challenging part of building this dashboard and a place where you think maybe at some point soon we'll have more data and we can do better? You are a statewide partner and that's always hard. So we've had this conversation with other statewide partners in California and Louisiana who came after you where to tell the story of a Navajo County and a Maricopa County, to tell the story of an Apache and a Phoenix and all of this to overcome challenges of data accessibility for tribal health. There are so many stories to tell in Arizona. It's a complex and beautiful place, but to try to capture it with the minimum viable product that won't overwhelm people is really challenging. That's the stuff that keeps you up at night because you don't want to sell out any particular story for another. So we're working on a national project right now with a partner We had an interesting town hall with people from all over the country. There are people from Iowa. There are people from New York City. When they talk about accessible transportation, they are not talking about the same thing. Iowa is talking about traffic fatalities. They're talking about pedestrian safety, maybe. But New York's like, what's a car? They're in totally different places. Mm -hmm. And so we have to tell a, a story that binds with the data that's available. And that, I think, is always our central challenge in this work.
Stephen, having the data that goes statewide was one of the things that Vitalist had challenged you all with at the beginning of this project. In the end, we ended up including data on particular data points where only major metros like Phoenix and Tucson and Yuma and Flagstaff even had data available. Was that one of the more challenging parts of putting this dashboard together? Was it a challenge? Yes. I think it's a perfect example, though, of not letting the challenge get in the way of making progress. And so, of course, if you're taking a statewide view, there will be ways for us to make this more personalized with every iteration. And I love that as a trajectory. But you guys were first to market on something like this. And so I think you were really showing the rest of the country, what's possible. And the version 1.0 was pretty darn good. Steven, I am looking right now at the community design page at a map that is titled the average number of days with a high temperature over 105 degrees during the past 10 years. As any Arizonan listening to this podcast knows, we shattered all kinds of records for days over 105 degrees in 2020. This is a living dashboard. How often do data sources get updated and what typically is the time lag between today and when the data is published? How should people think about that and how can they know more about what the data is they're looking at? It's a great question and it depends is the answer. (laughs) There are data sets obviously that update every day. There are data sets that update every year. There are data sets that update every decade. Those aren't particularly useful, the decade ones. But for something like extreme heat days, that's you're usually looking at about a year snapshot at a time. And that's something that updates then annually. But what I love about this dashboard is you can just count on it always having the most up-to-date data. So as somebody who's going to check it out, you don't have to worry about whether this was last month's data or last year's data. It is what's most recent and it will always be what's most recent. The other thing I'd say is there's always a source referenced on these things. So if you wanted to dig in more, you can do that on any of the individual data indicators. Okay. Last question. What is your one central piece of advice to anyone who has never seen this dashboard before, what should they do when they arrive at that homepage? Sarah? So my one central piece of advice for interacting with this dashboard is to grab a cup of coffee or tea, set some time aside, and spend 30 minutes with it. Because this is something that really needs to be absorbed, I think. And it does have a logical flow of a story. And that's where I think I would love for people to lean in a little bit is to not just use it as one of the same old data portals. It's not like that. It's a journey. And also you've supported a lot of amazing organizations. And I think taking the time and having the like respect of the work to watch the videos and read the case studies about how Vitalist is supporting the work on the ground. I think it's really cool and it's really inspiring. I look at it almost like it's a refresh to your day. Like it's a re-energizing to the work not something to just be consumed, but something to be lived out. And so that would be my central piece of advice. Yeah, if you're going to do nothing except look at the front page for life expectancy, that's great. That's why we didn't bury the lead. But I think the central piece of advice is to take some time with it. The secondary piece of advice is to send it to a friend. And so these are really supposed to be conversation starters at the community level. We spend a lot of time thinking about how we can support people with materials for walking them through community engagement, walking them through advocacy. And I would encourage people to reach out to us directly too, if they need help in starting those conversations, because we have a lot of expertise in that as well. Nice. Stephen, your one central piece of advice, and you're allowed to give two since Sarah did. 
The very first thing that you should do is push the star button next to the URL so that you have it on record because you're going to want to come back to the point that you made earlier, John, this thing is alive. It changes as the data changes. You're going to find reasons to want to return time and time again. The second thing I was going to say, Sarah took it. You should send it to five people. I love that is the next thing that you should do. Picking a place that you know and trying to imagine it through the dashboard is a good thing to do too. So if it's where you live, if it's someplace that you grew up, if it's someplace that you just know well, I think trying to experience the dashboard through a place that you know is another way to try to take it in and then send it to somebody from that place. So in part one of our conversation, you said that public health is a sector that spends about 95% of its time digging into data and about 5% talking about it. In this case, this dashboard has already done all the digging. People can just spend all their time talking about it, right? Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen, and thank you, Sarah. And thank you for your work to encourage and elevate the health data dialogue in Arizona. As you both noted, stakeholders and diverse sectors are converging on health, well-being, resilience, sustainability, and community vibrancy. Dashboards like Vitalists and Dashboards That My Sidewalk has produced in partnership with six of Arizona's county public health departments are great places to visualize data as an artifact of place. The places where we live, work, and play are where health starts. The regular exploration and sharing of data insights about places all over the state can be the straw that stirs the drink, that generates new energy, new solutions, and better health outcomes in the long run. As we head into Halloween, don't get tricked into thinking that we can relax when it comes to COVID-19. Just as importantly, don't forget that a twindemic of flu and rising COVID cases is possible. And avoiding that twindemic that would overburden hospital emergency rooms is up to us. Number one, get your flu shot now to help avoid the combined effect of the flu and COVID on our neighbors, our healthcare professionals, and our hospitals. Number two, make sure you continue to wash up, mask up, physically distance whenever you can, and keep a heads up for each other out there. Double points for masking up, by the way. It can help prevent COVID and the flu from spreading. Number three, testing can help. It is more broadly available and it is free. When in doubt, get tested. Lastly, remember that we're in a marathon, not a sprint. By being in this together, we will get out of this together. Our COVID-19 roundtable will be back next week. In the meantime, don't hesitate to delve into our back catalog of episodes, like our most recent intriguing and insightful episode featuring three incredible emerging leaders from Tucson, or any of the rest of our now 50 episodes. There's a lot to listen to, including guests from across the state and national experts too. Visit us on the web at vitalisthealth.org podcast. Check out all of our current and past episodes on Spotify, or simply reach into that podcast app you're using right now and select another show to find out what's going on related to health and well-being in Arizona. That's it for this episode. The takeaways from this dialogue belong at the family dinner table as much as they do in your place of business, in city and town halls, and in the domains of healthcare and public health. So please share this independent episode far and wide. Subscribe to the Vitalist Spark podcast to get notified as soon as new episodes are released. Or listen to the Vitalist Spark just like you listen to your favorite music on Spotify. Give us your feedback wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can also give us your input the old-fashioned way. Your corrections, complaints, and compliments, they are all welcomed by emailing us at feedback at vitalisthealth.org. Finally, remember this. With great responsibility comes great power. We'll see you back on the road to well-being soon.